Hey everyone, it's Jeff from Modern Combat and Survival, and I'm really excited because I just got off the phone with a new expert in our network where we talked about some seriously cool shooting techniques for rifle marksmanship during a survival scenario. Now this is a very important topic that has a lot of applications, so I know you're going to get a lot out of it. Go ahead and check this out now. Bullets were flying, your adrenaline surging. Would you hit your target? If the world as you know it crumbled tomorrow, collapsed into chaos, you know how to survive? If you and those you loved were cornered by a gang, violently attacked, could you protect them? Could you protect them? Could you protect them? Firearms training, urban survival, close quarters combat. This, this is another podcast to help you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot. This is Modern Combat and Survival. Your target is in your sights. Almost without thinking about it, you find the safety on your rifle and you flick it off. The target is right there. You know that life or death may depend on this one shot. Whether that target is a deer for your family's next meal or a violent attacker in a force-on-force battle who wants to do you harm. When that one shot counts, are you 100% confident that you'll make it? Hello, everyone. This is Jeff Anderson, editor for Modern Combat and Survival Magazine, with another podcast to help you better prepare in your role as a protector and a patriot. And today, our goal is to give you that confidence you need for achieving supreme rifle accuracy when you need it most, even in the harshest environments, by mastering just a few critical field expedient shooting techniques. And here to help guide us is our special guest, Ian Kenny. Ian, welcome to the program, man. Hey, thanks, Jeff. It's great to be here. Uh, it's good to have you on. I've been uh, I've been admiring your your articles here for a little while. I've been looking forward to to getting you on for this, and I know you've got some really cool stuff for us. So, so listen, everybody. Uh, Ian is a veteran of Operation Enduring Freedom and has served in the Army National Guard for six years. All of that time spent in a recon platoon, used to going well beyond normal battlefield boundaries, where covert movement and marksmanship skills are what will keep you alive. During his time in the military, his passion developed for precision rifle shooting, and he's been shooting competitively for about a decade now. In addition to shooting and competing, he's helped teach tactical and precision rifle courses, focusing on body position, optics, sling use, and the techniques we're going to be talking about today, improvised shooting techniques. Now, while bolt-action precision rifles have always been Ian's primary focus, he's also enjoyed competing in designated marksman and USCA two-gun matches to push his personal speed limit with the AR-15. Today, he writes for the Guns America blog, doing rifle and optic reviews, in addition to posting shooting tips. Now, for more of Ian's work, you can check out his shooting advice over at www.gunsamerica.com. Just look him up there as one of the authors. All right, Ian, let's, let's go ahead and dig right into this. You know, you, you've seen a lot of people in competition and in the military do well with shooting. And you've also seen them do very poorly when it comes to, like, long-range shooting and accuracy. What I like about your approach to shooting is that you don't follow the herd. And you, and you really only focus on, like, those techniques and those tactics that you know are going to get the bullets on the target. So from your experience in shooting against others and instructing people in long-range marksmanship, what, are the, what would you say are like the three biggest mistakes that you see most people make that they should correct to become a better shot, especially at like long distances, and how can they solve them? Well, uh, I've seen 
people make a lot of mistakes. And uh, probably the three most common, uh, the first one being uh, probably just pushing the limits uh, of their ammunition and their equipment uh, beyond what's more than practical. And by that, I mean, you know, I've seen guys, they try to push their the recipe for their hand load on their ammunition to the point where it's just unsafe. You know, they, they put in a little extra powder there. They, they extend the bullet out a little bit. And before you know it, the ground on chamber, and uh, I've even seen some guns blow up. And that's the exact opposite of what you want to happen. And, uh, you know, it's just kind of sad because they try to also, like, look at um, the latest and the fanciest bull carrier group is the thing that's going to save them to be the fastest person, uh, you know, the best on target, when in reality, you know, it might not be compatible with uh, the operating system that they have. And I've seen guns lock up. I've seen them uh, have a bunch of reliability issues. And on a range or at a mess, you know, that's okay. It just leads to an unfortunate end of the day. But in a survival situation, that could absolutely be your life. So to me, it's, it's just worth it to go with proven components that you know will work, proven ammunition that, uh, that you know will work, rather than just try to risk it, searching for some marginal increase in, uh, in performance. Mm-hmm. Uh, and another area where I've seen people really kind of falter is where they just try to get into a certain position. They just don't know how. Uh, it's surprising how many people can't create a solid shooting position with what's around them. Some people are just used to shooting off of the bench or in the prone, but when you look at them and you go, okay, you got to shoot at this target that's 400, 500 yards away off this uh, gangly stump or off of this cargo strap, they they spend so much time uh, trying to just get into right, the proper position, it becomes impractical. I mean, they either time out or, or they just can't get into that type of position. And it's really easy to, to practice these things and just try, you know, shoot off a chair. Uh, a folding chair that if you know, your range has uh, just simple chairs, just set one of those up and try shooting off the back of it. You'd be surprised what you'd be able to manage. Um, you know, just trying to mix things up a little bit. It might look a little weird, but uh, it'll pay off in the long run when you run into a situation where you know you have imperfect conditions. Mm-hmm. And um, probably the third thing uh, that was kind of tough because it's kind of a tie, but I would say being mentally prepared uh, is one of the biggest things where I see people get into trouble. Um, you know, matches, uh, training courses, they happen in all kinds of conditions. They want to happen if it's hot, if it's cold, raining, there's mud everywhere. It doesn't matter. And what I've seen throughout the years is that some people just are mentally prepared to deal with that kind of adversity. Hmm. Uh, they can't get themselves into a mental bubble that blocks some of that out and then focus solely on the fundamentals and the target and execute what needs to happen to hit that uh, hit that target. And it's really something that you can't train for. It's something that you just kind of have to develop or you have naturally, I guess is one way to put it. Uh, I found that in a lot of cases, uh, instituting some breathing techniques, uh, some deep, deep breathing, my, I, I call it like the Zen side of shooting. Because, you, you know, take a few deep breaths, that'll slow you down a little bit, slow your mind down, gets oxygen into the brain. And it'll allow you to focus on uh, on those fundamentals, on that steady sight picture, the uh, you know your breathing, trigger control, all of that. So uh, those are probably the three biggest things that I've seen uh, throw people off their game uh, during a match or in a training course. Well, and I also think, I mean, the mental side of it, we talk a lot about that with a whole bunch of different things because I mean I think it's often overlooked, but but that makes so much sense of what you're talking about, especially when you're talking about like a survival environment or something like that where you don't have as much control over it. So, you know, if it's if you have a day set up at the range 
And it's like you look outside and then, oh, it's snowing now or it's a lot colder than we thought or it's raining. It's like, ah, well, that that screws up the day at the range, you know. And so but that also that that's your opportunity to expand your comfort zone. I think that, you know, I I know, you know, we've both been in the military. So, you know, that your your comfort zone gets expanded for you. Like there's just, you know, you're you're forced into it. Right. So. While other people are complaining, like if you were to go camping and it's raining, it's like, no, if if it ain't raining, it ain't training in the military. So I think the same thing like with you know, what we're talking about, like field expedient shooting methods, you know, making sure that you do go out and maybe even plan if it's going to rain, you know, going out and actually even if it's just dry fire, just knowing what it's like to be in, in be soaking wet or being in the mud or knowing whether your equipment is going to perform in the mud or anything like that, you know, then it's not new to you because you're right. I mean, if you're, if you're down in the prone position in a mud puddle or it's raining out, it is going to be a distraction if it's the first time you've ever experienced it. And that might be that one shot that you really need to, to take and, and land and you better make it. So, you know, it's, it's, it seems like a good opportunity to kind of expand your mental comfort zone, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, in the military, and, and you see this at a lot of shooting, shooting ranges as well. I mean, there is that the bench there and there's, you'll, you'll find a sandbag there at the range in order to really give you that, that steady support. And, but obviously like in a survival situation, sandbags are going to be way too heavy to carry around off the range, you know? What are maybe the best field expedient alternatives to the sandbag that could help someone maintain like a steady support on the barrel? Well, yeah, absolutely agree. Uh, you know, and a lot of times when uh, we went out on missions, I never carried a rear bag or anything for the N24. Uh, we just uh, actually, what we found worked pretty good was, uh, you know, having a gloved hand. And uh, it could be like aviator gloves or like mechanics gloves. But you can just make a fist. And what we found out worked pretty well. Just make a fist and you put it back at the rear of the stock, either grasp the, the sling swivel, or you can let the stock rest in the, the meaty part of your hand, kind of between the thumb and your fingers. Uh, that actually worked pretty well. It was actually pretty steady. Uh, you know, the cloth of the glove soaked up a lot of the recoil and, and padded it, the stock uh, from the skin of your hand so you didn't have any kind of pulse or anything like that. It was pretty stable. You kind of gripped your hand a little bit uh, tighter to lower the front of the barrel so you can kind of depress the barrel a little bit and you let it go if you need some more elevation. So it was a pretty good field expedient method. Uh, but then again, I used, uh, I've used rolled up jackets, um, you know, molly pouch or, or whatever that I had in my pack that was kind of soft, had some give that I could throw under the stock. But yeah, there's a lot of techniques you can use to, uh, to get support in the rear that, that you can have in the pack that serves other purposes. You know, I, you're having a rear bag in, in a pack really does take up a lot of room that could be used for, for water, food, uh, extra ammo, whatever. So, yeah, definitely probably first choice would be a gloved hand, and then second probably a rolled-up jacket or, or something like that. So that's like for the rear, you're talking about like for rear support to be able to keep the the weapon like in the in the shoulder pocket? Yeah, yeah. And, and probably for the front, uh, also, you know, you can use the uh, same things almost. Um there's been uh, a couple of situations where I've had to kind of like off of a branch or off of a fence post, you know, same gloved hand, you just kind of grip the stock a little bit while you're gripping onto a fence post or um, or like a bar. And the same thing, the glove kind of pads the stock from the hard object below it, and it'll provide stability to the front because you kind of got a little bit of grip action there. 
And, uh, you know, I've also used packs to support the front, uh, all kinds of things. Like, mean, a, it, like it a backpack. Really like a backpack yeah, or something yeah. like that. Like just take it off real quick, throw it down on the ground, and use that for like um, basically like a big sandbag. Yep. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Or, you know, even if um, – because, I mean, they, they can obviously be, be pretty big, but – you know, we, um, you know, like we've got a, we've got a backpack where the Molly pouches, instead of being affixed to the actual backpack, they actually come off and, and you, you can buy those too, but if they're, if they're Molly compatible, but just taking those off is about the size of, you know, like a, you can find some that are, are about the size of a small sandbag or something like that that could work too. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah and when we had our Alice packs, we had, uh, it's an external frame pack and you gotta see a lot of them in surplus stores and everywhere. And actually, uh, when you lay that thing down, the, the pack kind of rolls forward a bit and they have a bit of the frame exposed. We've used that a ton of times, uh, for front support for the rifle. It's super stable. Uh, we just threw a little bit of, uh, isomat down on top of it, kind of fat a little bit, but, you know, on a budget, uh, you know, it's pretty cheap to kind of create that, that dual pack for all of your bug out stuff and then you have a, a shooting support as well yeah to work in a whole bunch of situations you know i also saw you make um you kind of made your own i guess like an improvised sandbag that i guess you could keep empty along the way that it looked like you made it out of a sock or something i guess you could use anything but what was the what was it that you made it, it was it was a sand sock uh it was actually uh, a boot sock that i had because i was cheap and uh <laughs> Yeah, you really, you can, you can fill it up with anything. Um, it doesn't have to be sand necessarily. It can be, you know, dirt or, uh, rice, whatever you kind of have around you. I know a lot of people that have used, uh, rice. So, hmm. yeah, um, yeah, sand socks are kind of the traditional kind of thing, way to do it. Just take an old boot sock and fill it up with sand and there you go. Yeah. So like if you get in a position or whatever, you can, you can just pull out the sock and then look around you, fill it up with whatever you've got and just create something right there yeah, and empty it out right there. You don't have to carry it with you or anything. Yeah. Cool. Yep. Okay. We're, we're here with Ian Kenny of gunsamerica.com discussing tips, tricks, and field expedient tactics for precision rifle shooting. And we have a lot more to get to, including the best methods to make your own barrel stabilization aids that work just like the expensive aftermarket mods, fast action improvisation, improvisation, how am I saying that? <laughs> Improvisation techniques for targets of opportunity and how a simple piece of 550 paracord can create a rotational accuracy aid in just a matter of seconds. But first, check out the special message. In any disaster, crisis, or attack, your life and the life of those you love could solely rest on the survival gear you've acquired. Do you have the proper gear to protect you from the threats you'll face? Whether it's preparing your home against the destruction and mayhem of a city in chaos, or you're bugging out to a safer location when a natural disaster forces you from your home, the supplies you have right now could ensure your survival or seal your fate. Don't take the risk. Claim your free copy of our exclusive guide, Survival Gear Secrets, at survivalgearsecrets.com and discover 
The seven-phase survival gear plan every family must prepare for or face the consequences. Five no-bullshit warning signs that a collapse is headed your way, so you're already in action long before your neighbors even know what hit them. And how to know exactly when it's safer to stay at home and shelter in place. Or get in the family bug-out mobile and get the hell out of Dodge. Your fellow citizens may be fine with sleeping in a crowded stadium waiting for FEMA to hand them a granola bar, juice box, and a blankie. But you know that no one can protect your family better than you can. If you're properly prepared with the right supplies and equipment to ensure your survival. Don't wait until it's too late. Find out what's missing from your survival gear plan by grabbing your free copy of Survival Gear Secrets now at www.survivalgearsecrets.com. And now, back to our show. Okay, we're back with Ian Kenny of GunsAmerica.com talking about field expedient methods for highly accurate rifle marksmanship when you need it most for your survival. Now, we have a lot more to get to, so let's go ahead and jump right back into our interview now. Okay, Ian, let, let's talk about bipods for barrel stabilization. I mean, these are very common, and you see a lot of rifles these days with, like, a bipod attached. In fact, now you can even see tripod shooting sticks. But bipods can add a lot of weight when attached to a rifle that you might be carrying around for a survival scenario. And and basically, if you ask me, like, unless you're packing a 50 caliber machine gun, there's really no way I'm going to be humping around an extra tripod with me. So what are the differences in the benefits of a bipod versus a tripod? And what are some field expedient ways to accomplish the same thing that they do for you for accuracy? Well, yeah, in a, in the context of uh, a survival or bug out situation, I would definitely leave uh, a rifle attached bipod out of the equation. Uh, it it does make a lot of sense because one, like you, you kind of mentioned, it has a lot of bulk, it's weight, uh, and it also has limited utility. It pretty much only holds the front of the rifle, and you have limited dust adjustment uh, on top of that. You can only get maybe a few inches from the lowest setting to the highest setting. So. Uh, yeah, I'll leave that off there. But they're convenient in that they do support the front of the rifle when you need it. Uh, you mm-hmm. don't have to have a pack or, or anything like that. Um, and then shooting sticks, which kind of fall into that bipod category, aren't necessarily attached to the rifle, but they give you more uh, more elevation adjustment, uh, more adjustment options. Uh, you can adjust it faster just by spreading the legs out a little bit so you can go higher or lower as you need it. And uh, they're pretty easy to pack. Um Commercially, you know, there's a lot of them out there. They they uh, kind of collapse in on themselves like tent poles, or some of them kind of extend out like uh, other tripod legs. But uh, I like shooting sticks in because they're they're really easy and fast to get into. Uh, they're not quite as stable as a tripod because you have to have one hand kind of supporting the front uh, where you know the rifle is resting, and you don't really have much going on at the rear of the stock. And tripods they offer the the additional advantage with that extra leg. That supports the front of the rifle completely. You don't even have to put your hand up there to support the rifle. You can use that to stabilize yourself um, at the at the butt of the stock. So mm-hmm. uh, tripods, you know, they're, of course, they're going to be more bulky. They're going to be heavier. They're going to take longer to adjust and, and get into position with, but they're super stable. Um, and that's why I kind of like them for, for field shooting because it can kind of accommodate a little, uh, a little differences in terrain and stuff a little easier than maybe a set of shooting sticks or something like that. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, when you get into a survival bug out situation, it's usually just a little easier and quicker to make them. That way you don't have to pack them around everywhere. You just, you know, find a couple of saplings. Uh, I like 
the kind of two saplings, of course, you want ones that are as straight as possible, um, maybe about an inch, inch and a half in diameter. That gives it enough stiffness to where it won't flex much with uh, the weight of the rifle on it. And if you're pushing in into the rifle a little bit, uh, it won't really collapse on you. And, um, you know, just tie them together. You want to, when you're making shooting sticks, you kind of want them to cross. And then when you're making a tripod, you want to make that same kind of cross and then have an elbow leg come out. And that'll create the, the sort of cradle that's going to support the front of the rifle. Um, and another little trick I like to do is also to kind of sharpen the ends of the stick, not like spear point sharp, but, right. uh, but so that it, it'll just dig into the ground a little bit and provide some support. And if they're really quick to make, you know, just get a little saw from your Leatherman or your Gerber, just cut a couple of them up. Um, Four-foot lengths usually work out pretty well because that gives you enough adjustment to get uh, anywhere from like a, a low sitting to a high kneeling position, even to get over any brush or anything like that in case there's some kind of game animal or another target or something you'd want to get at. Hmm. Uh, and another, there's little tricks you can use also. Uh, even they kind of mix it in with some other other aspects of marksmanship. Um, like when you have your tripod, one thing to kind of think about is to have the one leg kind of facing towards your target. Uh, the reason being is when you kind of push into the tripod a little bit, the whole thing doesn't want to kind of just rock forward and collapse on you. Hmm. So it's important to have that, that one leg kind of pointed forward. Uh made that mistake a couple of times before I learned. <laughs> uh, and it, it's, a little, it's a little embarrassing. But, uh, you know, this is all part of the, the learning experience to become a better shooter. Yeah, that's a really good point. You know, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, there's some real easy things to do, um, you know, just with what you have around you. It doesn't even have to be a uh, sapling. Uh, it can be something you scrounge or you already have on you. Uh, pin poles have been used for a long time to make uh, bipods and tripods uh, for shooting support. Uh, anything you might find along the way you might scavenge, but as long as it's got enough um, support structurally, then if it'll support the fire rifle, you can, you can utilize it. Yeah. You know, and there's there may be defensive scenarios where you don't have time to tie sticks together or, or fill up a, a sand sock or anything like that, but, but you still need like quick support for accuracy. What examples do you have of something that people can do very quickly to get a steady fix on their target that doesn't take a lot of preparation, like tying together sticks and things like that? Well, I think um, probably the, the best thing to do, uh, depending on what kind of rifle you have, is to utilize a sling. Um, I use a couple different types of two-point slings for my AR, and probably the best technique that I've found that'll provide some almost immediate support for a long-range shot is, uh, is to tighten the sling up. If you have an adjustable sling like a, a Viking Tactics or a, uh, a Blue Force Gear B-cast sling, these slings, uh, they adjust really fast just by, you know, pulling or letting go on a little tab. If you have that thing adjusted right, you can actually pull that thing tight and this is even in the standing position. If you pull that thing tight, then it'll tension across your back and pull the rifle into your shoulder. And that's automatically providing some more stability. And it'll it'll work things out, especially if you drop down into like a, a prone position. You can use a magazine as a monopod with that tension going across the, your back, pulling that gun in. It's very stable. I made shots using that technique uh, out to you know, 400 yards even on a half-size ipsic with no problems. Uh, if you have to get a little bit higher and brace yourself against an object, a, a rock, a tree, or cardboard, a technique you can use is with your non-shooting hands, you make a, a C. 
and you grip the side of the stock or the forend, if you're shooting an AR or something similar, another semi-auto, kind of grip the side of the stock, and then you push your hand, you feel your hand into that object. And at the same time, it's going to feel weird, but you're going to lift your your shooting side leg, your, your right leg if you're righty, you're going to lift that up, and you're going to brace the, your elbow on the inside of your knee. It's going to look kind of weird. It's going to feel a little counterintuitive. But once you do that, the front of the rifle is supported by the heel of your hand being pressed into that object, and your shooting side is being supported by the elbow making contact with your knee. And it's very stable. And uh, I've used this technique a lot to, to make some long-range shots when they're just with no time, you know, either time constraints or something like that. And you just got to work with what you got. And that, that's the technique that's worked the best for me. And in sitting position, standing, um, you know, using the sling has worked very well. Yeah. Do you have a, like a, a photo or anything of that? Because that's trying to walk through, like, lift your leg here, put your ankle behind your cheek over here, run in place. You know, it looks like a, it sounds like a big yoga pose. Is there anything that you have, like, that our, our listeners could, like, reference when we post this? Yeah, I can uh, I can send something over. Um, I do. I do have some some pictures of, of how that how I work that technique okay. out. But uh, it was actually something I, I saw from um, uh, Kyle Lamb with Viking Tactics. He had it in one of his YouTube videos, uh-huh. and it's just something I've kind of picked up. I, I like to try to get information from whatever source I can. Oh yeah, and that's been probably one of the most useful pieces that I've ever used. Huh. Something I picked up on YouTube. Yeah, I'll definitely have to check that out. Yeah, you know. So using a vertical support like that, um, I can imagine like if you're pushing against a tree or something like that, the the one drawback might be that you might not have like a, a like well, I won't say 360 degree range, but it might be kind of hard. It might limit your range left and right some more because if you're on the side of a tree, like you're on one side of the tree. So one of the things that I've seen you do that I thought was really cool was using a piece of 550 paracord to stabilize the rifle, but it also gives you lots of mobility. So under what circumstances would this come in handy, and how specifically would somebody use this method in the field? Well, the user, the, the 550 cord kind of in that staying position, the one you're referencing, is kind of limited, but it's kind of one of those things you have to add to the toolbox. And really the only reason I did it was um, I was trying to shoot through a uh, kind of like a gap, a hole, and this brush is right in front of the tree and um, didn't have anything with me. Uh, so the only way we could kind of do it was, would have been offhand. And the problem was is that it, it's a heavy rifle and uh, it's a small target. So I ended up taking a loop of 550 length of it, throwing it over a branch that was hanging down off this pine tree, and then just kind of tying it at the bottom at about the elevation that I needed it. And it just, the rifle just sets in this kind of sling. And um turns out it worked pretty well. Uh, it kind of got me through the loophole that I needed to shoot through. It was more stable than having to shoot offhand, trying to hold a 17-pound rifle up. And uh, it was just one of those things that then I just added it to the old toolbox. And 550 cord is one of those great things because there's a million and one uses. Mm-hmm. And I could have uh, strung it between two trees uh, to create another type of sling to kind of brace against and support the rifle. Uh, there's just other ways to, to kind of use it. And then, yeah, the other, the sling technique I just referenced, sling between two posts, gives you a little more, less mobility than maybe the one hanging down because you're kind of limited in how far you can swing left and right and, and look behind you and stuff. But it's just another one of those techniques that'll, 
that can work in multiple areas. Uh, not are you, just, you know, are, are you talking about? Are you talking about like making like a clothesline sort of a thing, like and and using like sure. resting? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Gotcha. Uh, use that a couple of times in an urban environment. Uh, you get up when we were training, we would get uh, up into houses and things in our urban training centers, and you'd have the the wooden rafters up. So sometimes what we do is string a uh, 550 cord from from one uh, wooden truss to the other one and kind of make a little sling, and that way we could shoot out of the loopholes that were, were in the buildings. Yeah, and the other, that's the other thing I was thinking about, too, because, um, you know, especially when it's an urban environment, you know, a lot of people think that you're going to be shooting right up there, like at the window, or that's what a lot of people will do. They'll get right up to the window, and they'll position their rifle outside, and they're, you know, you basically are using the windowsill for the support, but that that doesn't give you a lot of um, of concealment. Like your your rifle barrel is out there, people can see where the shots are coming from. So it's always best to be back away from the window, so that the entire you know it might limit your range left and right. But you want your your rifle to be back. It actually gives you more field of fire if you're back away from the window sill, and it's safer. So I thought you know even if you had like 550, but then again. You know, like from a sniper position, sometimes it will, we'd put a table up at the window, right? So it gives you that like prone, stable base. But especially, you know, that's great if you have a a position that you can get into. You can pre, you know, you can pre, you can work everything up there, and there just happens to be this nice little table and sandbag, you know, situation waiting for you. But you might go into another room and be forced up to another floor or something like that. And taking your 550 cord, you might be able to throw that over like a light a light or a fan or something like that on the ceiling that you can use improvise right then and there stay back away from the window but be able to, especially if it you know you can adjust that 550 cord the way that the way that you do just by grabbing it rather than making a bunch of knots in it or whatever like you can you can quickly adjust that move forward move left move right or whatever if you need to move to another room yank it down, go on to the next room and throw it over a rafter or a light or a fan or something like that. And um and that gives you better stability while standing up or in a you know a kneeling position or whatever it might be, but still keeping you away from where you're giving away your position. Yeah, absolutely. And one thing that we did when I was in was uh we actually created urban hide kits. And uh it was just kind of a bag that, you know, we kind of split up amongst the guys but it would have different tools and things in it, and uh, we had all kinds of stuff in there. We had eye hooks, we had uh, cut nails, we had a sledgehammer, we had 554, uh, 100-mile-an-hour tape, uh, duct tape to everybody else. But we had uh, all kinds of stuff that would help us build a position uh, because they only shoot from windows in Hollywood. Mm. Uh, so we always had to focus on how we could build a position back away from the windows and, uh, and like you said, shoot from cover and concealment. So, you know, a lot of places, you know, would have wood jams or be concrete so we could anchor into those somehow and then we could use the 550 core to create a, uh, you know, sort of a shooting platform or, or a sling or something to support the rifle. So it comes out, we did a lot of experimentation, a lot of improvisation and uh, see what worked out. But 550 core is just an amazing thing. And kind of to tie back into the tripods, a technique that you can kind of use is once you create your tripod is take a, Thing of 550 cord and kind of wrap it around the, the top of the tripod in the cradle portion. And if you have your pack with you, put the pack underneath and run it through like a pack strap or the, the carry handle back up to the top of the tripod and loop it around a couple times so that it 
the weight of the pack mm-hmm. is actually pulling down on the tripod and makes it just that much more stable so that it can't come loose, you know, from recoil or, or something like that. And then when you got to move, you just unloop that real quick, uh, just kind of sing it off the top there and hit the shooting sticks and, uh, or tripod and grab your pack and you're out of there. Oh, that's a great point. And I love the, uh, I love the build kit. What'd you call it? Well, we call them urban hide kits. Urban hide kit. Yeah. I mean, I love yeah. that. I love that. And that's, you know, we talk, you know, we talk about like for survival purposes, making sure that you have tools on hand. Like if you need to reinforce your home, like board up windows or something like that, you know, if you don't, if you don't have the tools, it's not like you're going to go down to the local Home Depot in the middle of a disaster and do that sort of thing. So it totally makes sense, like, for you know, keeping an urban hide kit, like basically this, this set of supplies that you might need, whether it's just in your car, like having it in some sort of a tactile bag in the car or, or whatever, that if you do get to a position where you need it or, you know, a sledgehammer is kind of hard to, you know, kind of carry around with you, but... If you're in a position where you are have access to the vehicle or something like that, that you have those tools available, because I mean you're not going to find them necessarily if you're just, you know, out bugging out or whatever, and you know when you need it, it's probably not going to be there. So that's a really great idea. Cool. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, something we kind of came up with actually after we got back from Afghanistan. We uh, kind of um, shot some ideas around like what what would be the ideal kit, then we had to kind of cut that by half because, of course, everybody wants to bring everything. Sure. And you just don't have that kind of space and weight. So we narrowed it down to, um, I want to say, like 10 or so items. Um, but, you know, 550 cord, 100-mile-an-hour tape. We had some nails. We had uh, some eye hooks, some mosquito netting, and uh, I think we had a saw, sledgehammer, a couple other things in there, too. That would pretty much ensure that we could build some sort of hide and shooting position with what, with what we had or what we could find. Yeah, that's great. Wow. Well, Ian, this is really great stuff, man. I mean, these are these tips are really going to make a big difference in how well that someone can shoot beyond the range, which is pretty much where everybody's just hanging out. Um, and then what I like about it is that it it doesn't, you know, it's it's even even in extreme environments where you might not have all the supports and things like that. So really, really cool. I really appreciate you coming on today and and sharing your advice with us. Now, listen, everyone. These are strategies that you can very easily put into use right now, and you can really see for yourself how well they'll work for you, even if you're using dry fire techniques. I mean, you can you can easily use any of these strategies just to see how stable of a shot picture that you can achieve. And I'd also recommend maybe you use the old penny trick by putting a penny on, on top of the end of the rifle barrel and try to try to keep it there using these techniques, these different types of field expedient methods. Or even try, you know, if you're using an appropriate dry shot, dry fire shot method or whatever. But give them a try, and I, and I know you're going to become a much better survival shooter with it. Now, make sure you also go and check out more VN shooting tips at GunsAmerica.com, where you'll find his articles. And until our next Modern Combat Survival Broadcast, this is Jeff Anderson saying train hard, stay safe, prepare now. This has been Modern Combat and Survival. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You can help us out by rating our podcast on iTunes and leaving a comment. You can check us out on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Modern Combat and Survival. And don't forget to claim your free subscription to Modern Combat and Survival magazine at www.moderncombatandsurvival.com. Lock and load. And we'll see you next time. 
This has been Modern Combat and Survival. 